All right, good morning again. I want to say a special thank you to everybody who came out on Friday to celebrate the search committee and uh, all the process that went through and all the people that put a lot of work into that celebration. I just want to thank them real quick, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, that, that was awesome. You know, they got to haze me a little bit. That was cool, too. I ate a public sub yesterday, so I can't be that upset, I guess. So uh, I really appreciate all, all the kind things that were said and all the work that was put into that. So I do, do appreciate that. So thank you. Okay, so this morning we are continuing our six-week series, Asking Questions Leading Up to Easter, which is, happens to be next Sunday. And today we're here on Palm Sunday celebrating kind of the triumphal, triumphant entry of Jesus as king, okay? We're going to get to that in a minute, but just to recap, we asked four questions thus far, okay? Who, what, where, when, okay? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the capital M Messiah, right? What did he do on earth? He came to preach, teach, and heal. Where did he go? He went everywhere, but specifically towards the disenfranchised, right? The people who do not have a voice. And last week, we talked about when, did we have an encounter with Jesus? And I hope that you guys were able to do your homework, right? To share with somebody what an experience you had with Jesus, an encounter you've had with Jesus in your life. And I hope that was fruitful for you. And I bet you it was fruitful, fruitful for the person who received that as well. And if you didn't do it last week, do it this week, okay? You have time, okay? So please share these encounters because the more that we share, I think the more we'll, we'll be able to see Jesus working in our lives. So today, this is our question, okay? Why did Jesus come to earth? Very big question. And I want you to be honest with me very quickly. Be honest as you're thinking of your first response to this question, okay? Because sometimes I think we can get very Bible class answery with this question, okay? Why did Jesus come to earth? Think about that in your mind. Your first response might be, if you're a great student in here, you might be saying, Jimmy, guess what? You talked about it the very first week. Why did Jesus come to earth, okay? You might be thinking, Jesus came to earth to deal with the problem of evil. I win bonus points. Because if you remember, we talked about from the very beginning, there is this problem, right? That, that God cannot be in the presence of evil. And once man decided to turn their back on God, the presence of evil was there, okay? So God had to do something drastic. But in that process, God spoke truth to Eve that was going to happen later on in the future, right? We talked about this very week one, okay? If you look back in your notes, if you're taking any notes, he says this in Genesis 3, 15b. He will crush your head. Speaking to the serpent, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's this idea that the serpent is going to have kind of input on this final process that's going to take place, right? That the capital M Messiah is going to come onto the scene and he is going to strike your head, defeat you once and for all. But in the process, there's going to be a price to pay, right? And we're talking about this in the context of Easter. And we know, hindsight being 2020, we're sitting here thousands of years later knowing exactly what takes place. But there is a price to pay for evil entering this world, okay? So you might be thinking your first response is, why did Jesus come to earth to deal with the problem of evil? And that's a great response, okay? You're not wrong. But if that's all that Jesus has come to do, if that is your only response to why did Jesus come to earth, guess what Jesus becomes? Your personal proverbial handyman, 
Okay, Jesus becomes your, your, your AC repairman, the specialist who comes in and says, you know what, my air conditioning is not working, I, need a pro- or I have a problem, I need someone to fix it for me. Jesus, would you please come and fix my AC? Okay, Jesus becomes the proverbial ibuprofen, you got a headache, you reach for your medicine, you have a fix to your problem. If that is your only response to Jesus, that he has come to deal with the problem of evil in this world, you're missing out on what Jesus is actually doing. You're not wrong, okay? You are right to say that, but there's so much more. There's a deeper understanding to what Jesus did while he was on this earth. You might be thinking, okay, Jesus came to earth to die for my sins. And I talk about Bible class answers. This is what I'm talking about, okay? This is what I would, I, I guarantee that if I went to um, Teen Week right now, this summarized, and I gave a poll, this would probably be the, the number one answer. And guess what? It's not wrong. It's a good answer. Good job. Fantastic answer. And that's a great thing, right? Amen. That's fantastic. Amen. That is awesome. But, okay, if this is your only context to what Jesus did when he came to earth, we talked about the handyman, we talked about ibuprofen. If this is your context for Jesus, he becomes Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. You guys familiar with this? Okay. This is Charlie, I believe. It's been a while since I've seen this. But he's holding, a golden, he's holding a golden ticket. And in the context of the movie, there's this big contest that's going on. This crazy candy man is holding this contest. And there's these golden tickets inside candy bars. And if you buy a candy bar and you get a golden ticket, you get to go to this place. And that place is actually kind of awful. Okay, As a kid, I was afraid of this movie. There's probably a reason why I didn't return to it. But I remember I looked up this scene. The contest seems to be over, and then Charlie just happens to buy this, this candy bar, and he gets this golden ticket. And, and all of a sudden, his life changes. You know, his lazy grandparents get out of bed for the first time in 50 years, or whatever it is, and they go on this magical journey because he has a golden ticket. This golden ticket not only gets him admittance, ad, admittance? Ad, admission, that's the word I'm trying to say, admission to this grand experience, but there's this idea that this chocolate factory can all of a sudden be, belong to this child? That seems like a bad business plan. But it's all because, not, not because of Charlie's you know, MBA, he doesn't have a, a business degree. It's not because he's an expert in chocolate, but it's all because he has this golden ticket that he just happened to stumble upon as he was eating chocolate. Now you see with the parallel that I'm making here. A lot of times Christians grow up in the church and they're taught that Jesus came to earth to die for my sins so that I could go to heaven one day. But if that's our only frame of reference for Jesus, Jesus is just a golden ticket, right? Jesus just happens to be this thing that we stumble upon because we happen to go to church and we're given this golden ticket so that we can go to heaven one day. And there's nothing more to it. That's a problem. Okay? Can you nod your head if you're with me? I need you all, okay? I need you all to be with me because this is a bad theology. It's not wrong, but it's not the whole picture, okay? This is important because when we have this golden ticket theology about Jesus, all of a sudden Jesus becomes the object of our salvation. You understand what I mean there? We're turning Jesus into this conduit for me to get what I want. He is the object of our salvation. And again, we end up putting Jesus into this box that we want him to function in, right? 
He is our golden ticket so that we can get to heaven one day. You know, I, I grew up in the church and people would talk about heaven when I was a kid. They'd say, oh, it's the best place on earth. Think about all your favorite things and it's just 10 times better in heaven. I'd hear people say, I bet there are golf courses in heaven. And I would look at those people today and said, I really hope there's not a golf course in heaven. I love golf. You don't, don't get me wrong. But if that's all there is to heaven, I don't want to go. Right? Because... Jesus isn't just this conduit to what we want to achieve and do in our lives. There's so much more. But unfortunately, sometimes in the church, we look at Jesus as a means to an end. Again, the object of our salvation. And today we're sitting here on Palm Sunday, reflecting on the the Sunday before his resurrection. And the people are doing the exact same thing today, thousands of years ago. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Mark chapter 11. So those are a couple answers, and again, I'm not saying those are wrong, okay? Yes, Jesus did come to earth to deal with the problem of evil. Yes, Jesus did come to earth to die for my sins so that I could go to heaven. But I think as we read and as we approach this, I think there's something much deeper at stake. Okay, so Mark chapter 11, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to the Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there said, or asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their colts, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks along the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David." Remember that, okay? Week one. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And we've heard this story read on Palm Sunday years and years again, but just to refresh your minds, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in this moment, okay? Jesus is doing what was echoed through Old Testament, through people, through generations, time and time again. We look here in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Zion. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey and a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So we have this image of this triumphant king coming to Jerusalem on this colt, and Jesus is doing it years later, fulfilling prophecy for the people. And the people see this, and they recognize, they make the connections, and these people start to shout, Hosanna, right? Which means, Lord, help us. Lord, save us. They're seeing Jesus in this light, right? We just read, um, excuse me, I told you to remember, right? Okay, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Right, remember from week one, they were waiting for a Messiah, for a king like who? Like David. And they see this man coming on this call. He's fulfilling prophecy, and they see him, and their response is to say, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Our Messiah is here. Our king is here. Hallelujah. This is awesome. But just like those people thousands of years ago, they 
and we ourselves, we, we kind of misconstrue what Jesus is all about, right? Sometimes we want to make him out to be the Messiah we want him to be, and they are doing the exact same thing here because they're right to do this, right? They're absolutely right to say, Hosanna, Lord save us, because he is the king, right? He is the capital and Messiah. He is ready to do some crazy things on this world, but they're not ready for the way he's going to do it. They're not ready for the way because just like I said that sometimes we make Jesus out to be this golden ticket, they're making Jesus the object of their salvation in this moment. Because I could imagine it's very easy to be a disciple of Jesus right here. Okay? It's very easy to see the crowd. Okay, people are excited about this guy. You know what? He's actually fulfilling prophecy. Maybe now is the time to get on the bandwagon. It's right. It's like when those Golden State Warrior fans started becoming Golden State Warrior fans when Kevin Durant started playing for them, right? They said, this is a good time to get on board with this team. This is, they're going to win some championships here. This is my kind of Messiah. He's coming into town. It's, it's time for me to get on board. Boy, they don't realize what's going to take place. And it's not just the people that showed up that day, right? It was his disciples, too. Look back at Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a big ask, right? What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will, drink the cup and the, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they, began, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know, what those who are, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, are, and are, their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. And I didn't read you Matthew's depiction of this, but this same scene happens in Matthew, and James and John's mom asked Jesus this question. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but really what it gets to is that even within the disciples, there's this jockeying for position among themselves. They're with Jesus 24-7. They're around him when he's preaching and teaching and doing all these parables. And yet even these guys see Jesus as their golden ticket, the object of their salvation, the way they're going to get the best position possibly, not only in this life, but afterlife. And my takeaway from this is that if James and John can do this, and if James and John's mom can do this, certainly we can do it as well. We make Jesus the object of our salvation. And so I, 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 I say all this because Jesus is trying to make a point very clear here to James and John and to everybody else. And this is what he's been about from the beginning, right? Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So like I said, yes, Jesus did come to earth 
to deal with the problem of evil. Yes, Jesus did come to earth to, to, to save us from our sins and to, so that we can get to heaven. But he's teaching something much, much deeper here. To give his life as a ransom for many. What I want us to land at is while those perspectives are true, there's a deeper calling here, okay? And it's as simple as this. Jesus came to this world because he loved us, right? We sing the song all the time, right? Why did my Savior come to earth? <laughs> well, you, you, Tyrone, you kept singing the verse. <laughs> because he loved me so, right? We sing this all the time. And I bet you in your Bible class memories, you think, you know, you think about Jesus loves me. You know, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? It's in our brains. It rattles around, but all of a sudden it just kind of becomes an idea. It becomes less than true because we've heard it over and over. It's like, yeah, Jimmy, I get it, man. Jesus came to this world because he loved us. That's fantastic. That's what you want me to walk away from. I'll walk away from it. But as we look at Easter, as we look at the life and the trajectory of Jesus, all these questions we've been asking leads up to this. It's not this obligation. It's not just because he had to. It's because he had to in a way that he loves us so deeply he had to do it. There was no other option for him. It's that thing where it's like, this is not an obligation, but it's a reflex of love, right? When you love somebody, you're willing to lay out everything on the line for that person. Great, that's, that's fantastic, but let's make it more tangible, okay? I want to share a story. I didn't have any pictures up here, but when me and Michelle started dating, we were only 17, 18 years old, okay? You can find pictures, okay? It was a weird time for me, uh, uh, but... I remember vividly when we, we only started dating for about three months, four months, and I knew in that time, I was like, I love this girl, right? I, I, I want to tell her I love her. So she was hanging out at my house, and we were saying goodbye. She was parked on the side you know, of the road, and as we're saying goodbye, I'm like, I'm going to do it. This is the time I'm going to say I love you. And then I basically whispered it to her because I was so scared. You know, it was, it's like, it was like down here in my stomach, I was like, you know, and so thankfully she heard me and thankfully she responded the same way. Oh, that's cool, right? <laughs> and I want to say that was 2009, 2010. And I want to say that things are different now. We continue to love each other, don't worry. But the love that was expressed when I was 17 years old is like long gone and it's much more mature today. It's that feeling where it's like, in that moment, I love you as a person. I can't wait to see what happens next. But as you go through time and as you go through perspective, you see how deep love can actually go. And the times where you mess up or they mess up and you come back together and your love just compounds and grows stronger and stronger to the point where you're like, I would do absolutely anything for you. Now, I might have said that when I was 17, but it's definitely not the same reality I experience today. That deep and profound love, you might think about the love you have for your children or your nieces or your nephews, that flesh and blood, skin, that, that connection that you have with family sometimes can be so deep that you would do absolutely anything for them. And if that person is ever in a state where they're looking like they're saying, you know what, I'm not worthy of your love, 
right? I'm not worthy of this love you're giving me. What would your response be to them? Yes, you are. You're absolutely worth it. And sometimes when we read this in this, this idea, it's like, well, yeah, I get it that Jesus loves me. And we get this idea, well, am I really worthy of his love? God's looking at us the same way, saying, of course you are worthy of my love. There's no other reason why Jesus would come to this earth if you are not worthy of my love. I have to love you because it's so deep and so profound that nothing else could shake it. And I sent my son here not out of obligation, not to have this like ceremonial you know, reconciliation, but because I love you. That profound love that we try to experience in this world, but we fall short in doing towards each other because, again, we are flawed human beings, but we serve a God who is unflawed and his love is perfect. He is the very embodiment of love, right? Let's look here in 1 John. This is exactly what I'm talking about here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from where? From God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. This is what we're talking about today, okay? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I want to read this last part because this is when it gets intimidating right here, for me at least. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. So the question of why did Jesus come to earth? Because he loved us. The reflex of love is just sending Jesus for our sins. It's love, right? And out of that, we have a job to do. Out of that, we have something to complete. God's love was made complete in Christ. And all of this comes to fruition so that we can embody love into this world. So that we can be made complete. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Right? So what do we do now? Okay, we, we have this information. You probably already knew this. Why did Jesus come to earth? Because he loved me so. What do we do with it? The first thing I think we need to do is seek a relationship with Christ from the Gospels into your life. Let me explain very quickly. For me, this was no different than a movie growing up. These were characters in here that had some stories to tell me and had some lives lived, but they became basically fictional to me because they were so far removed from my life. That's what I felt. But as I grew older and found out, oh, James and John had a mother that wanted the best for their kids. Right? I just talked about James and John jockeying for position. They had, they had a mother. They had a father. Jesus had brothers and sisters, had a mother and father. They had these real lives, these real tangible lives that actually happened. These are not just fictional characters that just live in the Bible that stays in our car until next Sunday. This is real. 
And this has the power to change a whole lot. And we say, why did Jesus come to earth? Because he loved us. And the story happens in here. And you're not going to have a relationship with Christ unless you spend time in the Gospels. You can watch all the Right Now Media videos you want. You can watch all the sermon jams on YouTube that you want. But you're not going to know Christ unless you read the Gospels and seek a relationship with Christ through this. Specifically asking the question, God, what are you saying to me in this parable? At this time, we were talking on Wednesday night. I've had this Bible for a few years now, and I have things underlined in there. And today I'm like, why did I underline that then? It, it, it kinda, it's kind of like a, a time capsule in, in a way where it's like, oh, that verse to me at that time really spoke to me for some reason. And I like looking back and seeing the things that I've underlined or highlighted or, or starred because at that point, Jesus was speaking to me through that. And I want to invite you to spend some time in the Gospels and seek a relationship with Christ as if he's sitting there with you. As if you got boots on the ground walking and talking and speaking with Jesus in the Gospels. My recommendation is always to start with Mark. Because Mark is quick. Mark gets to the point. And Mark just knows how to dial it in a little bit quicker than everybody else, honestly. But spend some time in the Gospels to seek a relationship with Christ for yourself. And the second thing is to allow God's love to be part of your identity. Okay? When the kids were younger, uh, I don't know why I stopped doing this. But we would say goodnight to each other. And I would, I would look them in the face. <laughs> oh, man, it's so sad to think about babies growing up. But I would look at them and I would say, you know, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're creative, and you're loved by God. Those were four things I wanted my kids to know, right? You're smart, beautiful, creative, and loved by God. And they would say it back to me every single night. And I wanted my kids to know that your identity is based around your identity of being loved by God. This is a part of who you are. And the problem with the world today is that we want to identify as everything else besides this. We want everything else in the world to be our identity, the things that we like, even our sexuality.